goodness, Lamper, old thing, you've got a face like the sound of Richard Johnson hitting that thirty-five yarder into the top corner at Carlisle last month. Like thunder. Get out of my way! But what could possibly be bothering you, old chap? Happy days are here again. Graham Taylor's back managing the team, and we're four points clear at the top of Division Two. You should be smiling from ear to half-bitten-off ear. Shut it! Can't you see I got my ruck face on? I've got business to take care of. Ah, would that be Chief Steward business or, oh dear, hooligan business? Same thing, ain't it? So what seems to be the problem? I've heard there's people arrived in only heaven who don't belong here. Really? Golly, who? Dunno, but whoever they are, they won't be in only heaven for long. I'm gonna put 'em in hospital, Evan. Hornet Heaven, Series Ten, Episode Four: Invasion of the Egg Chasers. Written by Ollie Wicken, read by Colin Mace. Earth Season, 1997-98. It was Sunday, September the fourteenth, nineteen ninety-seven. Down on Earth, Watford's season had got off to a very bright start, but there was a problem in Hornet Heaven. Somehow, the latest arrivals in the club's afterlife paradise weren't Watford fans. Henry Grover, the man who founded Watford Rovers, and Lamper, Hornet Heaven's chief steward, were walking up Occupation Road. On their way to help sort out the problem, I wonder who these people will turn out to be, old thing. It's only two weeks since Princess Diana so sadly passed away. Do you suppose it might be her? I hope so. Oh, that's nice, because she was so beautiful, kind, and perfect. You mean? 'Cause I ain't never beaten up a princess before. Ah, at the top of Occupation Road, at the junction with Vicarage Road, the eighty-three-year-old. And the skinhead met with Johnny Allgood, the footballing great from the Victorian era, who had become Watford's first ever manager. In 1903, Johnny had organised his Watford team into an invincible force. 94 years later, he was taking charge of the current situation. Glad to see you, gentlemen. I have received reports of two deceased souls that have arrived in the wrong afterlife. Aha, Johnny! That tells me they're Luton fans. Eh? Why? Because the sheer degradation of supporting the filthy hatters blights the inner self of everyone who supports that foul club. I said deceased souls, Henry, not diseased souls. Ah, my bad. Though, of course, the observation still stands. Well, if they're outsiders, it don't matter who they are. If they ain't us, they're them. And they're getting a boot in the mouth from me. Hold your horses, Lampert. As a matter of fact, we do know a little more. I've been told it's two men, and they're dressed somewhat unusually. They've got on those short frilly skirts that ballerinas wear. Tutus, tutus, Johnny. How intriguing! What material? Is it tulle? You know that fine, stiff, lightweight netting. 
And what colour? I'm thinking cerise. No, primrose. No, no, powder blue. Henry was knocked aside as Lamper barged past him with a leer of anticipation. I ain't never baiting up ballerinas before. Johnny watched as the skinhead turned along Vicarage Road, behind the stand. Lamper was striding off, squeezing and cracking his knuckles in anticipation. Johnny said to Henry, We'd better stop him, or he could do a lot of harm. Absolutely, old chap. Tool is a very fragile material, I'll have you know. Johnny and Henry followed Lamper and caught up with him. To distract the former hooligan from his violent intentions, Johnny attempted conversation. So, uh, what have you been up to recently, Lampert? Did you go to our match at home to Chesterfield yesterday? It was extremely promising. Shut it! GT really has got us firing with the two new strikers he's brought in. They both scored yesterday. Rocket Ronnie and that other fellow, you know, the one without the pineapple on his head. I said, shut it! This season is going to end up as another Graham Taylor promotion season. I can feel it in my plasma. Shut it, or you'll feel my boot in your plasma plums. Suddenly, the young skinhead extended an arm in front of Johnny and Henry. He stopped. Look, there's the blokes who shouldn't be here. You might as well call the ambulance right now. Johnny and Henry peered ahead. They saw the new arrivals standing next to the turnstiles behind the Vicarage Road stand. Johnny's information had been correct. They were wearing ballet skirts. But these men didn't have the lean and svelte appearance of dancers. They were overweight, scruffy and bearded. And they were drinking. Beer was slopping up and out of their pint glasses as they teetered and tottered in their tutus, bellowing songs. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Lamper narrowed his eyes. Henry gasped. Rugby fans in a football heaven. This is sacrilege. Johnny watched the new arrivals in their fancy dress, swaying and swilling beer. They'd moved on to a different song. The mayor of Bayswater, he once had a pretty daughter, and the heir on her dicky dido came down to her knee. Johnny stroked his long, drooping moustache, thoughtfully. Definitely rugby fans. Standing next to Johnny, Henry was still indignant. It's absolutely outrageous. These people have no place in our afterlife. They're not like us at all. Their balls are the wrong shape. <laughs> I see what you've done there, Henry, but I don't expect they'll prove to be much different from football fans. I'm not being funny. Everything about rugby is wrong, Johnny. You can only pass the ball backwards. You score by kicking the ball over the bar, and tackling is basically just grievous bodily harm. GBH! I love GBH! I got a PhD in GBH. Lamper's face creased into a huge, broken-toothed smile. I can show them how it's properly done. Right, I'm going in. I'm going to kick them out of our heaven. Johnny clasped a hand on Lamper's shoulder. 
<clears throat> I think we should begin with a slightly more diplomatic approach. Leave it to me, gentlemen. You two wait here while I go and find out what they're doing in our afterlife. Johnny walked forwards cautiously. He approached the two beer-bellied men in ballerina dresses. Greetings, gentlemen, greetings. Are you enjoying yourselves? We're larging it! Absolutely bloody larging it! We're having a much better time than you football fans. You lot don't know how to have fun. Well, I thought I'd introduce myself. My name's Johnny. Deary Donuts! What a boring name. I'm Archie, and this is Huge Hugo. Huge Hugo? But he's the same size as you. Oh, no, he's not. <laughs> Go on, Hugo. Show him. Ah, no, don't. Definitely don't. But uh, I'm curious about something else. I've never seen beer in our afterlife before. Where did you get hold of yours? You mean our vast vats of ale? Vast vats of ale? Uh, yes, your uh, vast vats of ale. We got them at the Saris match. Saris? What's that? Saracens! Hugo and I are deceased Saracens fans. Our afterlife paradise is Saracens Sanctuary! Right, uh, I see, but uh, what are you doing on Vicarage Road? Saracens have just finished their first match here. As of today, we're ground-sharing with Watford, which means we're Evans-sharing too. Johnny nodded. He was familiar with the concept. Earlier in the decade, Watford had ground-shared and heaven-shared with Wildston for a few years. Now celestial geography must have changed once again, such that Hornet Heaven and Saracen Sanctuary occupied the same space. Well, well, football and rugby fans together. Interesting. Oh, I doubt we'll be mixing much. You lot of yobs. You're too busy hating and fighting each other. You have no conception of sporting friendship. I don't think that's quite... Your heroes fall down pretend to be hurt. Our heroes get up pretending not to be hurt. To be fair, that's a bit of a... And your songs are wretched. Ours are much better. That's right. If you weren't too busy chatting abuse at each other, we could teach you some absolute corkers. Charlotte the harlot lay dying. Sit on my face and tell me that you love me. That's a very kind offer, but... Rip my knickers away! Johnny held up a hand and excused himself politely. This first encounter had left him unable to imagine how deceased Watford fans and deceased Saracens fans would ever find enough in common to be able to share a heaven. As Archie and Hugo launched themselves into another baldy song, he went back over to Henry and Lamper, who were keen to know what Johnny had found out. Do they want a lesson in GBH? Did they say where they'd got their tutus? Right, gentlemen, it looks like we may be sharing a heaven with rugby fans. Possibly for the rest of eternity. Which means we need a plan for how we're all going to live together. We three need to talk. Come with me. Johnny fetched three programmes from the Hornet Heaven programme hut and led Henry and Lamper through the ancient turnstile on Occupation Road to revisit Watford's first game of the season. They made their way onto the away terrace at Brunton Park, Carlisle. The match kicked off. Watford's lineup included Alec Chamberlain, Nigel Gibbs, Robert Page and Tommy Mooney. Henry said to Johnny, 
I'm pretty sure several of these players will become true Watford legends for eternity. But why have you brought us to this particular match, old chap? For inspiration, Henry. This was GT's first match back in charge of the team. He makes a brilliant strategic substitution just before the hour mark to win us the game. I'm hoping it'll inspire us to come up with our own strategy for dealing with the Saracens fans. Lampo said, We don't need no strategy. We just need to kick them out. That's not an option, my friend. Their heaven now occupies the same celestial space as ours. Johnny watched as on the pitch Watford put together a superb early move involving Micah Hyde, Richard Johnson and Peter Kennedy. Then off the pitch, he noticed that Lamper had been distracted. The skinhead was staring at the Carlisle fans in the home section, glowering, growling and swearing under his breath. Suddenly, though, the hooligan's scarred face lit up with an idea. Here, I know what we should do with them rugby lot. Segregate them. Johnny stroked his moustache as he pondered this. Hmm, I don't quite see why. There's no safety reason to keep the two sets of residents apart. Rugby fans aren't like football fans. They're congenial, not confrontational. In that case, segregation's definitely the answer. If they ain't into knuckle naturally, let's rile them into scrapping with us by caging them in. I see. What's your view, Henry? I'm afraid I have to admit I'm just not comfortable with rugby fans in our midst, old chap. When we shared with Wealdstone fans, I was sympathetic to their plight. They were people like us. But today I witnessed two grown men singing a song with the lyrics Bum titty, bum titty, titty bum, bum titty, bum titty I. I mean, does that strike you as in any way normal? Johnny stroked his moustache again. He watched another superb Watford move. This one made possible, by the way, Graham Taylor's team selection had combined the aggression of Tommy Mooney, the poise of Stuart Slater, and the raw enthusiasm of Gifton Noel Williams. It prompted Johnny to say, You know, if GT can accommodate such a range of talents in his team, surely we can make room in a combined heaven for people with varied ways and lifestyles, or after-lifestyles. Surely we should be embracing the difference between ourselves and the Saracens fans. We could learn from them. Johnny's words triggered Lamper. Learn? From them ragabuckers? No way. They need to learn from us. The skinhead huffed and rolled up his sleeves. I'm bold of your strategy, cobblers. I need a good old ruck. He headed back towards the ancient turnstile. Them ragabuckers are going to learn from me. What it's like to get booted up the pumper. Lamper returned to Vicarage Road. He saw Archie and Hugh Hugo behind the stand in their tutus drinking. The song they were singing annoyed him. It's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, rugby's coming home. Lamper saw two more people this time. They were also in fancy dress. One of them, with a yellow moustache and a silver-winged helmet, was Asterix the Gaul. The other, in plaits and bulging blue and white striped bloomers, was Obelix. Lamper didn't hesitate. He ran up and booted Obelix in the bloomers, but his Dr Martin boot bounced back off the spongy padding beneath the bloomers. He fell in a heap on the tarmac. Ow! Obelix looked down and said, 
Zoot. Some of Feshir. Quel salut. Degash. Obelix's mate, Asterix, said, Tankiet, Obelix. Hey, my friend. Are you okay? Lamper picked himself up off the ground. He stared at Asterix and Obelix suspiciously. What's going on? You don't sound like Saracen's fans. That's because our team is Castre Olympique, from the south of France. We've been playing Saris in the European Challenge Cup, and we're having a beer with Archie and Hugo. In rugby, dead fans fraternise in each other's heavens after games. This ain't right. You're Frenchies. I don't believe it. There's bloody frogs in all it heaven. If you don't like it, then maybe you must adapt. There are Italian and Romanian teams in the cup also. I'm sure Archie and Hugo will invite dead fans from any country for a drink afterwards, won't you guys? Archie and Hugo raised their pint glasses. Vast vats of, of ale! ale. Lamper stared in disbelief at what Asterix had said. Romanians? The whole thing was far worse than he thought. He turned and stormed off, muttering, We need to take back control of our boulders. It didn't require much thought for Lamper to come up with an answer to the problem. When Johnny and Henry returned from the Carlisle match, Lamper led them to the Watford Football Club boardroom beneath the main stand to give his idea the go-ahead. He sat them down around the large central table and announced, I'm going to build a wall, a huge wall, and Saracen's sanctuary is going to pay for it. A wall? Not concrete, I hope, old thing. That would be such an eyesore. Perhaps you could go for artistic steel slats. Whatever. The point is, Ornit Evan is for Ornit. Johnny didn't feel comfortable with Lamper's point of view. His own natural instincts were to encourage inclusivity and diversity within the Hornet Heaven community. He said, But there's another way of looking at it, Lumpert. An influx of new people with new perspectives will improve our afterlife. We'll gain by learning how they do things, by adapting. Who knows, we might even find we can drink beer like they do under their regulations. I'm sure we'd all appreciate that. But that... Ain't how it was in the good old days. It's time to make Ornit Evan great again. Well, I see where you're coming from, Lamper, but if you don't agree, we need to put it to a vote. A refer and drum. Johnny considered this. Well, now, that's a very interesting idea. Henry, what do you think? Henry had his doubts. As the founder of a football club that had brought together hundreds of thousands of people since 1881... He was worried about the divisiveness a referendum might provoke. You know, I'm not sure it would actually help. You see, the result might turn out to be a very close-run thing. What if it ended up something like, say, 52-48? Then I'll have won, and you'll have to get over it. This fully confirmed Henry's fears. Johnny chipped in with some of his own thoughts. We should be mindful of the fact that a simple yes-no referendum is an extremely blunt tool. It can end up counterproductive. I mean, what if we held a vote on, say, whether people liked match day programmes or not? An apparently simple question. Most people would vote no, because programmes are so boring. But if we took action on the vote and got rid of programmes, no one would be able to go to games anymore. Hornet Heaven couldn't actually function. People would have accidentally voted to destroy their paradise. You'd still have to go through with it, though. 
You'd still have to carry out the will of the people. Really? If I was on the winning side, yeah. Otherwise, nah. Johnny stared at Lamper, trying to follow the skinhead's logic. He failed. So what's the answer? Can I build a wall or not? Johnny turned to Henry. At first, Henry had been wavering, but he'd made up his mind now that Lamper had started bandying phrases like the will of the people. To be honest, Lamper, old son, I'm not sure you've quite made the case. There's a bit more to do. Like what? In my role as the father of the club, I shall require you to present Johnny with your comprehensive strategic recommendations on how to use centralised planning to manage social change and regulate the future development and behaviour of our society. Do what? In a report. On this table. By tomorrow morning. Lamper wrinkled his broken nose. This sounded far too difficult. Piss off! Do it yourself! Lamper left the boardroom, slamming the door behind him. Henry smiled. In Lamper's absence, Johnny and Henry had a proper discussion about various other possible ways of achieving a social cohesion that would make all parties happy. Finally, Johnny said, Well, I think the best strategy suggestion was Lamper's. Which one? Booting them up the pumper? No. He said earlier that the rugger buggers need to learn from us. On reflection, I think education would be an excellent way to bring the two communities closer together. Specifically, I think we should offer to teach the rugby lads how to love Watford. Aha! I like it. Turn them into people like us, you mean? Not exactly, Henry. We need to be considerate and balanced in our approach. We should respect their love of rugby and seek to augment it, not replace it. Ah, I see. Yes, very considerate, very fair. But um, by the same token, shouldn't we Watford fans be learning to love Saracens? Johnny Allgood, the most level-headed, fair-minded and well-intentioned soul in Hornet Heaven, got up from the table and said, Us love rugby. Ha! Bollocks to that. The following Saturday, Johnny went to see Archie and Huge Hugo behind the Vicarage Road stand. They were still drinking and singing. And was Jerusalem builded here among these dark hills? Johnny felt that describing Watford Football Club's sunlit paradise as dark and satanic was a little disrespectful, but he stuck to his plan and got chatting to the rugby boys. After a while, he took the chance to invite them to accompany him to Watford's game at Gillingham that afternoon. Ah, what an extraordinary suggestion! That we mix with fans of the round ball game? That we mix with people who support their team by hating the other team? That we mix with total sociopaths? Well, I do see your point, but... Archie's right. Rugby fans are far superior to football fans. We live by a code of sporting brotherhood. We're into handshakes, not hatred. Ah, oh, well, there may be another time. So how will you spend your afternoon instead? The next Saracens game isn't until tomorrow, I've heard. The normal way will be having a quiet pint, followed by thirteen noisy pints. Ha! Johnny headed off to the hut to fetch a programme for the Gillingham game for just himself. 
Teaching Saracens fans to love Watford would have to wait, he told himself as he went inside the hut. But when he came back out, Archie and Huge Hugo were waiting for him. We've changed our minds. We've decided to come with you. Oh, OK, good. Yes, you football fans need teaching the essential principles of sporting kinship. We are going to show you how supporting a team should be done. Johnny hesitated. This wasn't the basis on which he wanted them to come to the game, but it would be a start. In the interests of heavenly cohesion, he went back into the hut and picked up two more programmes. Johnny led Archie and Huge Hugo through the ancient turnstile to the Priestfield Stadium. The three men stood on the away terrace, not far from a fence separating Watford and Gillingham fans. They noticed Lamper was there, shouting through the fence, taunting the home supporters. Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Archie shook his head, sadly. Why do football fans have to be so provocative and aggressive? Come on, Hugo, let's teach these people how to support a team with a positive passion. And was Jerusalem builded here in Watford's green and pleasant land? Johnny hadn't heard of tumbleweed in Kent before, but he thought he heard it blowing past now. Oh, well, the music of Edward Elgar is obviously far too good for the likes of football fans. Absolutely. These Philistines have got an awful lot of learning to do. Suddenly, Lamper appeared in front of them. Their rugby singing had reignited his sense of us and them. Oi, what you think you're doing? That's not a football song. This is a football song. Oi, wanky wanky. Wanky, 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 Gillingham. Archie and Huge Hugo looked puzzled. You see, this is what I simply don't get. What have Gillingham fans ever done to Watford fans? Nothing yet. That's the point. We gotta rile them up to get some knuckle going. Lamper headed back to the fence, shouting at the home fans. Come on, you virgins. Bring it. Johnny, Archie and Huge Hugo paid attention to the game for a while. Johnny was pleased to see that Gillingham's centre-forward was Steve Butler. He said to the others, See that tall guy there? He played for us a few years ago in the Perryman era. Terrible times they were. He was terrible too, but we used to sing that he was a football genius. I've got a great deal of fondness for him. But he's an opponent. Don't you hate him? You're a football fan after all. Ah, we're not that one-dimensional, my friend. I hate and I love. Aha! You know Roman poetry too, do you? Odi et amo, quare et facium fortasse requiris. Catullus, poem 85. You what? Oh, you don't know it after all. Never mind, just another example of the vulgar ignorance of the football fan. Johnny shot Archie a look. Archie sniffed. Come on, Hugo. I've had enough. Football fans simply don't have the educational capacity to change their ways. Archie headed back to the ancient turnstile. Hugo hung back a bit, then followed.
After the match, Johnny made his way back through the ancient turnstile. He was feeling exhilarated. Having been reduced to ten men, Watford had fought back from a losing position to earn a 2-2 draw, with another Richard Johnson spank from outside the box. The Orns were still two points clear at the top of the table. Johnny felt less exhilarated, though, when he saw one of the rugby lads waiting for him on Occupation Road. It was huge Hugo. Hugo came up. Johnny wondered what condescending insults to expect this time. So he was surprised when Hugo lowered his eyes and said, Look, mate, we want to apologise. Archie and I have been having a tough time of things. We're not normally like this. Johnny's natural sympathy kicked in. He replied, Don't worry, my friend. I get it. You found yourselves in a brand new environment. It'll take time to adjust. For years our Evan was around the edges of our own little ground in Southgate. That was our own. Now, well, we're not sure. Is this our new home forever? Will we be lodging in other people's heavens for the rest of eternity? All the warriors had us drinking too much and boasting too much to kid ourselves that everything was great. We've behaved badly, I'm sorry. Johnny tried to imagine how he'd feel if Hornet Heaven's location suddenly shifted to someone else's stadium. He quickly stopped trying to imagine it. The idea was too upsetting. The two men sat down on the curb to talk things through. Johnny tried to lift huge Hugo's gloom. Well, on the positive side, I guess sharing with Watford isn't the worst that could have happened. How do you mean? You could have found yourselves having to share an afterlife with your greatest rivals, your worst enemies. No, that would never have happened. Why not? We don't have any rivals or enemies, never have done. We've been a little team in a little suburb. We've never had local derbies or anything like that. No long-standing feuds. Johnny thought about this. He reckoned it might begin to explain why Archie and Huge Hugo didn't seem to appreciate the nature of being a football fan. He thought some more. He couldn't be sure which had come first in football, team rivalries or a tendency towards antagonism. It felt a bit chicken or egg. But neither of these existed in rugby. It was a huge difference between the sports. It also meant that being a rugby fan was less of an experience. If you didn't have a rival team that you could beat, laugh at, fear, envy, be frustrated by and be humiliated by, your life and afterlife would be far less intense, far less stimulating, far less rich. Johnny stood up. He'd suddenly thought of a better way to teach rugby fans to love Watford. He asked Hugo to fetch Archie. Then he took them to the programme hut. Over the next few hours, Johnny led Archie and huge Hugo back and forth between the programme hut and the ancient turnstile several times. He wanted to give them a condensed tour of ten years' worth of events. First, he took them to a home game in April 1987. It was the sixth last match of Graham Taylor's first spell at Watford. It was against Luton. Goals by John Barnes and Worrell Sterling meant the Orns beat the filthy Atters 2-0. There was deep joy on the Vicarage Road terraces. After that, Johnny took Archie and Huge Hugo to 12 more local derbies that had taken place in the league over the following 10 years. These were very different from the 1987 match. They all had the same thing in common. Watford hadn't won a single game. 
Conducting the tour was painful for Johnny. It involved watching jubilant Luton fans waving Watford fans off, back down out of the top flight in the final game of the 1987-88 season at Kenilworth Road. He had to watch Watford fans cringing in humiliation at a 4-2 defeat at Vicarage Road in September 1994. He had to watch Craig Ramage miss a penalty, failing to equalise in November 1995. After the Ramage penalty, Hugo noticed Johnny was looking pale. Are you feeling all right, mate? You don't look your normal self. Oh, I'm feeling hollow, deeply traumatised and bitter. Which is my normal self when we don't beat Luton. I'll be fine when this sequence of failure is over, if it's ever over. As the tour continued, Archie and huge Hugo began to feel sympathy for Johnny. It seemed unfair for one team not to be able to beat another. At Kenilworth Road in January 1997, the most recent encounter, they started rooting for Watford to break the curse. But a nil-nil draw in front of the Sky TV cameras meant Watford's ten-year failure to beat their rivals became an even more public humiliation. At the end of the tour, Johnny walked the rugby fans back to their turnstile behind the Vicarage Road stand. They reflected on what they'd learned. I've been a terrible ignoramus. With no close rivals of our own, I didn't realise being a sports fan could be like this. Watford supporters have undergone terrible, terrible suffering. I feel the same. It's opened my eyes, seeing how personally fans take things. It's bad enough for people having to go through it up here, but it must be terrible down on earth. Every day for the last decade... Watford fans have gone into work and their Luton-supporting workmates have had the bragging rights. I get how it works now. Watford fans must want to beat Luton so much. Aye, just a bit. And it's not about antagonism and hatred at all, really. At a very simple level, it's just about some results mattering more than others, in a way that you've never had with Saracens, without a rivalry. And when do you play the filthy hatters next? Two weeks' time. We're in with a good shout of promotion this season, so getting three points will be important. But, I tell ye, as a Watford fan, a victory would mean so, so much more than just three points. Archie and huge Hugo could see from Johnny's face the depth and intensity of his emotions about the fixture. As one, they said, Can, Can we, we come? come? Two Saturdays later, on the afternoon of October the 4th, 1997, a chain of cries echoed around Hornet Heaven. Programs in! Luton's in! Here we go again! Oh, God! Johnny, Archie and Huge Hugo emerged from the programme hut with programmes for the game at Kenilworth Road. Henry Grover spotted them and joined them. Goodness me, chaps, what a fine sight! Saracens fans and Watford fans united in support of the mighty Orms. I must admit I was slow to come to terms with the presence of rugby fans in our midst, but now I'm delighted you're here. Johnny tells me our rivalry with the dirty douchebags from up the road has inspired you. Have you been learning all the songs? Archie and huge Hugo, still in their tutus and still clutching pints of beer, 
looked at each other. Archie inquired of Hugo what he thought of Luton. Hugo answered Archie with a short four-letter word. Archie inquired of Hugo what he thought of that short four-letter word. Hugo named the Bedfordshire town. Archie thanked Hugo. Hugo said that that was all right. Then they burst into song. We ain't Luton, we ain't Luton. We ain't Luton, we ain't Luton. We ain't Luton, we ain't Luton. We are the Luton haters. The father of the club felt a warm glow inside. Henry got himself a programme and the four men started to walk down Occupation Road towards the ancient turnstile. They hadn't got far when Lamper saw them. Oi, Grover! All good! What are you two doing all pally with them ragabaggers? You're meant to be building me a wall. Ah, keep your hair on, Lamper, old thing. Johnny's found a much better solution. No, he ain't. What he's done is totally ruined being a Watford fan. Ah, I don't believe I have, Lamper. Now that Archie and Huge Hugo are on our side, we're a bigger and better group. The people you thought were them are us now. Everyone's happy. Well, I ain't happy. I don't want everyone to be us. But why not? Because when there ain't a them, being us don't feel so us. Ah, that's interesting. So you feel greater belonging when your community is united not by a common love, but by a common enemy. Eh? What are you on about? Speak English. Johnny realised he could make his point without saying a word. He fetched Lamper a programme for that afternoon's match against the team they all despised. Suddenly, Lamper felt total unity with the old group. We're playing the scammers in Scammertown. Come on, you lot, let's go and do them. The five of them made their way to the Oak Road end. They joined the real-world Watford fans behind the goal. In the shallow seating, beneath the low roof, the atmosphere was tense. Lamper started a song. Archie and Huge Hugo joined in. In unison, at the top of their voices, the three of them invited people to take their advice that there's nothing so nice as kicking a short four-letter word out of Luton. Then the game kicked off in bright autumn sunshine. Watford were wearing red and black striped shirts with white shorts. Lamper, Archie and Huge Hugo raised their arms. Together they sang a song about what they'd do if they possessed the wings of a small bird and the rear end of a larger one. Henry and Johnny joined in. They all loudly promised that they would fly over Luton the following day and excrete a short four-letter word onto the illegitimate offspring below. But after five minutes, their songs were interrupted. At the far end of the pitch, Richard Johnson put Watford 1-0 up. Henry and Johnny threw themselves into each other's arms and jumped and hugged. Lamper turned to the Luton fans in the main stand and started giving it plenty. Archie and Huge Hugo's beers flew into the air. Then they all chanted, Johnno! Johnno! The game restarted. Johnny found himself feeling nervous. He'd recently been at this same stadium on the ten-year tour with Archie and Huge Hugo, reliving horror after horror. Now, though, he was beginning to nurture the tantalising, incredible, mind-altering idea that, after a decade, Watford were finally about to defeat their local rivals. 
but before Johnny had time to do much more nurturing, Di Thomas put the Orns two up. The real-world Watford fans in the Oak Road end yelled and grabbed each other, ecstatic. In Hornet Heaven, Lamper, Archie, Hugh, Hugo and Johnny did exactly the same. There were limbs everywhere. Henry, though, stood still in the mayhem, almost in shock as he sensed the significance of what he was witnessing. After ten years of torture, Watford might actually beat Luton. This had the potential to be the most joyful game any Watford fan had ever experienced, bar none. Eight minutes later, Peter Kennedy scored. Two minutes after that, Peter Kennedy scored again. While Lamper, Archie and huge Hugo bounced and screamed, Henry and Johnny stared at each other in disbelief. Watford were 4-0 up at Luton after half an hour. After a decade of pain. They both stood and looked around at the ecstasy on the faces of every Watford fan around them. They saw delirium. They saw utter elation. Johnny caught Henry's eye and pointed towards Lamper. Henry looked and smiled. Lamper was a man truly happy. The skinhead's face was contorted with a kind of joy Henry had never seen before. A furious bliss. A livid euphoria. The sight touched Henry. The club he'd founded in 1881 had given a lot of people a lot of happiness across 116 years, but surely never this much at once. He saw real-world Watford fans pinching themselves to see if they'd died and gone to heaven. As the raucous celebration settled down, a chant started up underneath the low roof. A chant that had never been heard before. A one-off. Henry put his arm round Johnny. Johnny put his arm round Lamper. Lamper put his arm round Archie. And Archie put his arm round huge Hugo. They all joined in the unique song. Ten years and it's worth the wait. 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 After the final whistle, the five men arrived back on Occupation Road through the ancient turnstile. They stopped and stared at each other in disbelief at what they'd just experienced together. In turn, they all hugged one another. Henry said, You know, I think we'll all remember this day forever. Graham Taylor was away for ten years. And in all that time, we didn't beat the filthy hatters once. But now he's back. We're top of the league. And we've not just broken the Luton hoodoo. We've smashed it. God is in his manager's chair again. And all is right with the world. Today, Watford fans' lives and afterlives have changed tangibly for the better. Henry shook everyone's hands and headed off. Lamper went with him. They walked happily up the slope, arm in arm, humming the tune to go west. When they'd gone, Johnny turned to Archie and huge Hugo. Well, 
You rugby boys look like you were enjoying yourselves. God, Zooks, I cannot tell a lie. That was the most profound and satisfying experience of my entire existence. It was the intensity, the sweet, sweet justice. I loved that feeling. I've never got that from rugby, ever. Johnny smiled. It had taken some effort, but Archie and Huge Hugo were proof that Saracens fans could be integrated into Hornet Heaven, he reflected. There was no need to try and get rid of the rugbuggers. There was no need to build a wall. Nor was there any need for Watford fans to go anywhere near a game of rugby. Although, on second thoughts, there was one good reason Watford fans might want to do that. He said, You know... I quite fancy a beer after that. A vast vat of ale? Hurrah! Vast, vast vats of, of ale. ale! Well, maybe not a vast vat. Maybe something more appropriate to what we watched at Kenilworth Road between 3 o'clock and 3.45 today. A perfect half. With his new friends, Johnny walked up Occupation Road in the eternal sunshine. Now that Graham Taylor was back, and Luton had finally been defeated. Johnny had a strong sense that 1997-98 was the start of some very good times returning to Watford and Hornet Heaven. The End The next episode of Hornet Heaven will be Series 11, Episode 1. Hornet Heaven was created and written by Watford fan Ollie Wickham. It was read by Watford fan Colin Mace. It was produced by Watford fan John Mooney. Music by Watford fans Steve Joy and Jeff Wickham. <laughs>